Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. Uh, today is going to be a very special episode where we're going to be talking about a really unique topic, which is all about enterprise sales and product-led growth. Uh, do they exist together? Do they not exist together? There's been a lot of myths around this topic. So we're going to be digging into this with Francis from Mad Kudu. And so this is going to be a really kind of fun conversation where we go through some of those specific intricacies of enterprise sales and how it all works together. So Francis, welcome to the Product Lab Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Now, wanted to just touch on a little bit about why uh, you wanted to discuss this topic today because we definitely heard a lot about like you know sales and PLGs, like anti-sales and all this other stuff. So curious to hear like what was your kind of main intention uh, that you wanted to cover here. I think for me, there's something really important in the in the space that hasn't been fully figured out is how we better document what the journey to quickly get to success in PLG is. I think we often look at some of the bigger companies like a box, like a lot of these successes, and we don't realize how long it took them to figure out what the right model is. And sometimes I find that a lot of companies that are getting started with trying to figure out how to roll out a PLG motion with like established enterprise or roll out an enterprise motion and established PLG struggle big time because there's very little information shared out there about what the journey was like, what were learnings along the way. And so my hope here is to maybe, you know, bust a couple myths that are out there and help anyone who's in one of these two situations and trying to make PLG work with, you know, ACVs that are north of, let's say, 50k to make it simple. Awesome. And like, what are the typical kind of people who would kind of fit in this bucket. Like I'm thinking of a very specific kind of company where it's like, okay, they are, let's say right now, completely product-led, like zero touch. And then they're thinking about, okay, we want to start breaking into maybe like medium-sized businesses or enterprise. And like, we need to have some sort of motion here. Or maybe it's the other side of it where it's like, we've only been focusing on enterprise customers, but we want to move more down market. Is that like typically the two main kind of audiences where you think like this would apply most or is there there others too? There's a third one, I would say, which is almost this kind of scale up that has made transactional PLG sales work well. So they're able to, you know, use PLG and and use essentially that motion to reduce the barrier to adoption, get a lot of signups, get people to either swipe the credit card or convert up to, you know, like a, a very transactional deal of maybe like 12K, 25K, and now they're trying to figure out, okay, like we're seeing in our user base a bunch of people from these bigger company, you know, ServiceNow or, or something like that. And we're trying to figure out how do we extract more of the share of wallet there? And how do we get to the point where ServiceNow is paying us 100K rather than 20K? And so like breaking that kind of ceiling that generally exists often there, like that kind of 30K range where we move from this kind of transactional sales motion into more of the enterprise motion. So that's maybe the third category, I would say. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so the first two are definitely focused more on just like that monetization, first part of it. And then the second is more like the expansion overall growth of that Mm -hmm. business. Awesome. What are, are some of the like common misconceptions you would say there are around just enterprise sales and product led growth? Like you typically don't hear them together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a misconception to think that they're oxymorons of one another. I think that's like, there's a lot of, I guess, unfortunate appeal to the idea that you're either one or the other. I mean, there was this big myth for a long time that Atlassian didn't have sales reps. Uh, and they kind of lived on that thing of like, hey, we don't do contract reviews. We don't have salespeople. 
you know, they were just basically account managers who were doing sales. And ultimately, I think there's a couple big misconceptions. And one of them is that it's a linear progression from doing transactional sales to enterprise. It actually is a very, very different kind of selling. I think even within the context of PLG, enterprise sales is closer to your traditional kind of like field sales, enterprise sales than it is to uh, transactional PLG sales. I think that's probably the biggest one. And part of the reason for that is that a lot of folks hope that behavioral data is going to give them the key to getting access to the right kind of people and the right kind of accounts. And that is only very partially true. Very often on the enterprise side of PLG, the buyer is not a user. The buyer is not active in the product. You're not going to source your decision maker or your buyer from your active users. And that essentially requires you to figure out what are the accounts you want to go after and now run a typical enterprise motion of going after the decision maker and getting them to understand why your product is so valuable for their team and why they should actually expand to one of the higher plans. So I think that leap from free or like low ACV conversion to an enterprise conversion is much, much bigger than going from buying one seat to maybe five seats where it's like fairly incremental. And it's you know still easy for someone to add more spend on their credit card. And that I think is one of the elements where there's a hope that if you've made it from purely self-serve credit card swiping to transactional sales from say like the you know, like 1K ACV to 12K ACV, that it's going to be a similar kind of effort to 50. And it's actually much, not harder, but it's very different. And if you try to do it the same way, it's going to be a horrible experience. So what I'm kind of like picking up in between the lines here too, is there's definitely like different levels of support and sales for sure of like, how do you interact with people? How do you eventually help them within your product? You're probably familiar with like no touch, low touch, high touch kind of approaches of how you could eventually service people and help them like high touch being like more probably closer to enterprise sales, no touch probably being a lot closer to like, you know, it's just completely self-serve. You just help yourself. Like, how would you define like, okay, this is a, a company that should utilize only no touch. This is a company that should utilize, you know, maybe a combo of like no touch and low touch. And then maybe this is a company that you should use all three of them. Or maybe it's like actually just like the first or last two where it's like high touch and low touch. Like, have you thought about like, what are the circumstances or like what kind of companies would best suit this? Because it would be one thing to say like, okay, enterprise sales is for every business, which I don't agree. It shouldn't necessarily be for every business, but I think for a lot of businesses, it should be something that you should consider for sure. So how do you structure this or think through it as far as the circumstance of like when a company should utilize one of these approaches or the other? Mm-hmm. There was a great post that Jason Lemkin shared on on his Saster blog. And his point was like more general than just apply to PLG, but he was saying, you know, like your goal as a founder should be that your product is 10 times better than the competition. But more importantly, your sales process should be sell 10 times easier than the competition. And I think to answer your question, I would say it really depends on the personas. And there isn't a one size fits all. And I think if you look at beta dev types of businesses, and like MongoDB is a perfect example. Like MongoDB, when you're going to go and sell to the CIO of a healthcare company, that's going to be super high touch. But within the same organization, you probably want to be low to no touch 
when you're talking to the developers who are actually signing up for their account and playing with the tool. And if you try to do high touch with them, you're probably going to scare them away and frustrate them and you know, risk not getting any kind of early adoption and championing within the organization. But there are some other types of products and businesses where you might always want to do some form of touch. And I think Mongo, they're really smart about this. And they were running this really cool campaign also. And this is where like PLG is something that goes cross-functionally. Essentially, the support team would be reaching out to developers that had accounts where they were hitting some kind of like CPU usage that's like above kind of thresholds and say, hey, it looks like you're having this. Like we actually have a PS team that can help you optimize your instances and get the most out of it. Like, do you want to talk to them? And the interesting thing is that then, you know, the goal of the PS team is to help in that instance. And at some point, Mm -hmm. start a conversation. Oh, by the way, like, you know, which org you report into and like, who's the budget holder. But what was really cool is that the entry point there, the first touch, it's not coming from sales. It's literally coming from support and trying to help them get past like some potential limitation in their configuration of the product. And that I think is, is a great way to think about almost having some sense of touch but mm-hmm. obfuscating that touch from the, the user is not perceiving it necessarily as a sales touch. And I think that's also one of the mistakes of having reps just go in. And I mean, the same way that in the inbound world, it's terrible to have someone say, hey, I see you downloaded our white paper. <laughs> Are you ready to take a wow, demo? Like, ah, no, I'm exactly. <laughs> I'm just interested in the white paper. Just leave me alone. So I think it's very similar there. Totally. Yeah. And I guess like you kind of touched on it too, as far as like, Maybe it's support. I've seen in some other companies, they call them like onboarding coaches, concierge, uh, Zendesk calls it customer advocates. Like there is a specific role here for note or low touch in this case. What have you kind of found is like the most common kind of roles that do exactly what you just described, where it's it's not quite sales, it leads to sales. It's very helpful as far as like, hey, I noticed you're doing this, but you can do this to get more value out of the product or how to get the most out of it. I think, unfortunately, the most common is SDRs. And I think that's yeah. a mistake. I think what we see is that the really successful companies manage to figure out, to find a profile that's closer to an advocate, someone who could be in a growth team and someone who's like close to the end user. At Mongo like will take people that have coding experience. I think uh, Vercel was also talking about this where they hired people that had coding skills and could actually live debug something with the user, right? And the last thing you want is someone that is more salesy. And yeah, they're like an onboarding expert, but you know, the onboarding process is book a demo with me and I'll bring in a solutions architect. So again, it really, I hate to say it depends, but it does. Yep. And I think it's like getting someone who can really, really help the user get value from the product. And, and from there, you'll then have established trust, which allows you to talk about monetizing that trust. Totally. Okay. So what would be the biggest difference then between like an SDR-esque role and one of these roles that you kind of suggest where it's like they're focused more on low touch and they reach out, they're maybe a bit more technical, it sounds like in MongoDB's case, maybe not always, but they're really just kind of looking at like the usage of like what's someone doing and how could I better assist them? I think the product expertise is really the main difference. You know, when you think of an SDR, I mean, they're part of their job is really pitching the value at a higher level, but they don't need to be solution architect. Like they don't need to understand exactly if you tweak this button, this is what's going to happen. When you're looking at the onboarding experts that are concierge, 
they need to understand exactly how to get value from the product. The same way that the person who is going to be, you know, putting their offer on I don't know, like any travel website for you to feel like that's the best hotel to go to is very different from the concierge who's going to know exactly what are the, you know, the bars to go to or the best restaurants and that kind of stuff. There's a level of, I guess, like macro versus micro in terms of understanding what the value prop is that are very different there. Yeah. No, and I guess like part of that too around the value prop as well that might be a bit different is they're trying to get people to experience that value prop like right away. And like they would have to know how to do specific things in order to get to that specific outcome. So I, I found that very interesting for sure. And, and I love a lot of companies have that role roll up into product or into mm-hmm. growth. And I really, really like that. I think at a smaller org, it makes a lot of sense. Once you get much bigger, it gets more complicated to have these like fully cross-functional. But Within the product, it makes a ton of sense because the role of product is to get people to experience value from the product and make sure all the barriers to value are removed. Mm-hmm. And so almost having a handoff to product of like, let's get these people to get value and to want to do more. And when they've mentioned that they're ready to do more, then hand that over to uh, to sales. I think that makes a lot of sense. And there are a couple of companies out there that have done that where there's almost this handshake that is happening multiple times between the go-to-market team and the product team where go-to-market is like bringing in leads and potentially even people are doing demo requests and then the reps are saying okay like go use the product go try it out you'll see there's a team that's there to help you the team helps them whenever they hit like specific points of engagement or hitting value then they get handed back to the initial sales team that talked to them and and i've seen a lot of success with that totally i know for like a lot of the audience too like no touch low touch pretty i mean more or less straightforward. There is like a lot of differences because like, okay, in one instance, you're reaching out a bit more proactively versus the other is like a little bit more like, oh, they reached out, there was a bug or something like that and no touch. Sometimes there's obviously like blends in the approaches. It seems pretty straightforward. But then when there's like low and high touch, what are like the main biggest differences? You talked about one of them, which is sometimes, you know, you can't just rely on behavior data because you know what? the person you're selling to is not the user and they shouldn't be. <laughs> Make it overwhelmed pretty quickly. So what are some of those other like big differences that you would use to kind of differentiate? Like this is the, the low touch bucket, this is the high touch bucket. I mean, again, it depends what we say with high touch. I would say in general, yeah. like high touch has to be about driving relevance and driving education. So that's where you know, high touch shouldn't be just a number of communications that we're pushing out because that's going to be incredibly frustrating for everyone. I think there's a big challenge in PLG sales around sales enablement and figuring out how do we get different users and different personas within the organization to understand what is the value that they could potentially get from bringing this tool into their stack. And that's where I would say kind of this low touch makes sense for someone who is going to be exposed to the product where the product is going to be doing a lot of the value surfacing, if you will, and then higher touch for people that are not expected to go into the product, but where the product is going to be helpful for their team. And and in that case, there's a lot more education. There's a lot more to talk about because they're not necessarily going to experience the value directly. And the kind of touches are also going to be very different. So I'd say, again, I would look at it from a really persona perspective where it's just a very different way of thinking about what is the value that the product brings to the organization versus the value that it brings to a user and even potentially to an admin of an account. Again, this is one of the tricky things with 
enterprise, right, is that you also, and this may be more feedback for founders and for kind of product leaders, is you have to make sure that there is a clear distinction between your higher self-serve tier and your enterprise tier. If it's really just a number of seats, if there isn't a clear distinction, Mm -hmm. it is going to be incredibly hard for your sales team to justify for their prospects to go to the enterprise tier. The most frequent thing you're going to hear is people are saying, I love your product, I'm using it, but I just don't get why I would buy this enterprise tier. And that from, I, I know you've mentioned a lot, you talk a lot about this on your blog. And I think this pricing element and value pricing is a really critical component here. And then that trickles down into the enablement of the sales team to figure out how we explain this to different functions using the product. Yeah. And I guess like back to that MongoDB example too, maybe like, could you explain, let's say if Slack signed up for MongoDB, uh, since everyone's familiar with Slack, <laughs> and it starts as a developer, they start like, you know, no touch, they're just using it, exploring it, whatever. Someone reaches out because, okay, it's Slack and they're using it. So they try and help them out. Where does it get to the point where it's like, okay, we're going to like up level this to something high touch or whatever you want to call it as like an enterprise potential deal? Like, what does that look like? And how does it all work from not just like identifying that is like a high value opportunity, but then all the way to like what changes within the whole process itself? Yeah. So the interesting thing is there's almost like two tracks to think about that are happening in parallel. There's one track, which is very user centric and lead level of saying, okay, we have a user, sure, comes from Slack, but it almost doesn't matter in the sense that this user is someone who should experience value from the product and we want to onboard them and to get them to experience value from the product. There's a separate track, which is a more holistic view from a company perspective, think, okay, what is Slack? And this is another big misconception is people have a little bit too narrow of a focus and we tend to think only about product, but there's many other things that are happening, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be that there's someone from Slack that downloaded a white paper, requested a demo or whatever. But so what you want to measure at the same time and what you know a company like Mongo will measure is what is the engagement level of the account and are we ready to hand it over to sales and go into like that high touch mode or are we still at the point where we need to warm up the account and warming up the account is not hammering the developer who's trying to use the product it's figuring out who are the other people what is the whole deal desk for slack who's the cio who's the cto who are the people that would get value from this and putting them into different nurture tracks that they have so this is where it's going to be you know they're still going to do enterprise you know field marketing invite the cio for dinner, send them a bunch of like communication about why Mongo scales better than any other database out there. And slowly as the overall engagement grows, it's going to hit that point where now we're saying, okay, we're ready for an AE to start uh, targeting the account. And that's where surprisingly you move into a lot of traditional enterprise motions of, you know, outbounding the executives, the decision makers, and potentially the users, if there's been interest shown in interacting with MongoDB beyond just the product. So it's actually interesting that to some extent, the two are fairly independent. It's almost two potential different entry points and the usage from the individual developer can lead to them talking to PS and then saying, yeah, actually, here's my boss. And I think they would love to talk about how we could expand our usage. And then from that boss, it goes to the next level up. And then if there's enough engagement, then potentially bringing in an enterprise AE to look at doing this. The last thing I will mention, again, feedback for VP cells out there and founders, the comp plans 
that you design in PLG sales are critical. The biggest mistake that you can make is having a different comp on net new versus expand. Because then if you do that, you're incentivizing your reps to push as big of a land as possible, which might not get fully adopted. And then you might have some contraction, potentially even some churn afterwards because you sold too big too early just because the rep wanted to get like as much of a comp as they can rather than saying, okay, you know, start small. And as we grow usage and adoption, the rep is going to be hitting, you know, variable commission the same way that they would have if it had been net new. And that really makes a huge difference in how people think about going after these accounts where instead of just jumping onto any single product user that's coming in, they're actually willing to let things happen and just slowly increase the usage. And that I think is another big mistake, I would say, where that's maybe one of the biggest differences with your traditional enterprise sales, where you want to close as big of a land as possible because you don't necessarily have that kind of organic growth within an account. Yeah. Is there any sort of like percentage breakdown you've seen work best as far as like a 50% of the commission is based on net new, the other 50% is like expansion, or what do you typically find like works best for product-led companies? So generally, I think it's breaking it in two, right? But saying that the variable and the, the commission combines the two. If you start seeing that your reps are only farming and they're no longer hunting, I mean, first off, they're still hitting quota. So debatable if that's a problem or not. But then you can introduce some either accelerators or introduce quota on that new to make sure that they're not just farming and they're actually starting to hunt. Uh, but really debatable if that's the right thing to do. Again, depending on how big your, your team is. But if all of your reps are hitting quota with just farming, the, I mean, first off, you have an awesome product and that's great. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think it's it's more about that idea that you're also kind of like creating almost like a retention package for your good reps because they know that they're bringing in these customers that are going to grow their usage and the rep typically wants to stay to see that usage kind of grow within the account because they keep on getting commission on it. Totally. And now that definitely makes a ton of sense for the high touch, like more enterprise focused side of things. Curious about the compensation side of things for low touch. What have you kind of seen work best in that kind of instance? So on that one, it's a really tricky one because the first thing that people have in mind is like, oh my God, reps are going to cannibalize my my self-serve motion and I'm spending more money. I would refer everyone to go and read uh, Thomas Tungus's analysis where he did uh, a really good analysis on uh, trials and how they impact conversion rates. The beauty of what he found was that no matter the ACV, having reps do some kind of touch point always increases conversion rate across all ACV. And so either you might want to A-B test it, or I would say maybe believe kind of the numbers that are out there and realize that, sure, you might be increasing a little bit your CAC, But if that allows you to bring in more revenue, I mean, it it makes sense. The main thing I I would say is rather that you want to measure a little bit of what is the effort to the size of wallet. Mm -hmm. What you don't want is to have reps closing deals that have a total size of wallet of $5 and having to spend an hour every time to close those. Because in that case, you're never going to be able to break even 
on that time that is spent. Because even, I mean, the amount of years you need that customer to be retained is just too big. So as long as there's, let's say, a, a size of wallet that's in the like 3,000 is typically the threshold that we set. It makes yep. sense to have reps go go talk to them even and, and yeah, go after a no-touch person to do that. However, if you're talking no-touch from the perspective of the persona should not be touched, let's say, yeah, reps should never, never touch them because that's going to be detrimental to the brand image. And that's like typically the kind of things that we see with developer tools where they just don't want to have a rep talk to them. And that's where you have to think more creative, creatively to offer an interaction that doesn't feel salesy and intrusive. Totally. Well, this has been super insightful. Any last thoughts or recommendations you would have for to give to anyone as far as like implementing enterprise sales in a product-led business? I would say really setting the expectations right and taking people to start the initiative that have this growth mindset and are willing to try things. Don't expect it to work right off the bat. There's going to be a lot of iterations that need to happen. Every business is a little bit unique and you're going to need someone who figures out what is the right path, what is the right kind of messaging for all these different users. And if you don't have someone with that growth mindset, either doing it or running that initiative, it is unfortunately likely to be a very bumpy road ahead. Totally. Great recommendation. And where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. I mean, on LinkedIn, I'm usually fairly active there. Yeah. Uh, that's the the main place. And then I am publishing more and more stuff on our blog on madkudu.com. And yeah, we talk a lot about data and PLG and how to not be dogmatic about the approach and, and how to be able to use whatever information you have at hand to learn quickly, iterate and run the best PLG motion possible out there. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, we will definitely create more content just like this episode. <laughs> and if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.